Okay. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for the warm welcome. And perhaps you're wondering, what are these Peruvian and his family doing here uh, in Bath in the UK? And as a way of introduction, I would like to share a bit uh, about myself and my family and the reason for us being here through this um, short presentation. And, but before I do that, I have, a, I have a question that I'd like to ask you um, this morning. And, and it's the following. I wonder how often um, you bring to mind the questions, why and how did you become a Christian? Well, the why is because before the foundation of the world, God chose you. And the how comes as a result of somebody sharing the gospel with you. So God sent someone to tell you about Christ. And God prepared your heart, opened your eyes and your ears. So when you heard the gospel, you responded in faith. And here you are. It's as simple as that. Well, not always. Because for somebody to share the gospel of Christ, it takes courage and obedience. So why and how did I become a Christian? Well, for me, living in Peru, it was through the courage and obedience of a missionary from New Zealand who told me I didn't need all I was after at that time, but needed Jesus. And he confronted me with the truth of the gospel. He was bold, courageous, and an obedient missionary who left family, friends, and everything behind in New Zealand to come to where I was at that time to tell me all about Jesus. So as you hear this short presentation, I would like you to bear in mind how the courage and obedience of one man can lead to all that God can accomplish through everyone who hears God's voice and follows him. So after I became a Christian, God brought me to the UK in 2004. Here I met my wife Esme, who already had a call to go to Peru to serve as a missionary in my city. We got married in 2008, and in 2010 I completed my degree in theology, and we welcomed our son Luis into the world. In 2011 we headed for Peru in South America to share the gospel, and start a church in a small village high up in the Andes. And so when we arrived, we spent the first um, year in Arequipa, that's the city, the second most important city of Peru. And here we welcomed Liliana uh, into our family, and six months later, we headed off to this little village. Now, this little village is um, 12 hours away from Arequipa, and it takes you to a very interesting journey. So... Those are some of the roads that we had to go um, on, and lots of bends, um, reaching um, altitudes of five, uh, 16,000 feet above syllable, and finally, 12 hours later, we arrived in the village. And this is the village where we wanted to go, live, and serve, and share the gospel. And um, it's a, a farming village, but it's a very poor village. Um, both physically and spiritually. And, and the best way for us to share the gospel was to live like the people with a different hope. So we were um, living amongst the people, sharing lifestyles like many of them. We all had responsibilities, 
um, Luis and Liliana as well. And we were um, uh, uh, working in the land. And then God opened doors for us to, to get to the local schools and, and, and teach them. And this was a great door for us. And um, I had the opportunity to, to, to lead many school assemblies. And then from there, we started a Bible study and also a Sunday meetings. And then God continued to open the door, even in the nearby villages. This, I used to visit this family every Saturday, and I would spend two hours with them sharing the gospel. And they were so keen and so hungry to hear God's word. And then God opened doors even further afield. Um, for the villages nearby, but even villages are 16,000 feet above syllable, five, six, seven hours journey from a village, a village base. And again, we discover who, uh, people who lived in these villages, they were hungry to know about this God I was presenting to them. And the question um, that I, I had every time I visited the village is, when are you coming back? And that's another village as well. And then we had interesting response, responses from people when I said, can I pray? And they would say, please. And then this is um, uh, a village at 16,000 feet. I went and shared the gospel and the whole village came to faith. And as I was leaving that village, the question again was, so when are you coming back? And also, the Lord blesses with some believers in the village. And we knew that the Lord was doing something amazing in this village. But we had two problems. We only had this space uh, where we meet and... As you can see there, we were all cramped. So there were 75 people meeting in this little space. And we thought, Lord, we need a bigger space. But the Lord said, no. But also at the same time, as, as I, I was telling you, people were asking me when I was going back and see them again. Now, I was teaching full time in the schools. I was visiting that family on the Saturday. I was leading Bible studies on a Wednesday, Sunday meetings. And there was no time. And I was the only one. I was visiting those villages six, seven hours away from my village and the Lord was saying something to us you're there on your own but not just God the Lord also uh, spoke to this man and he is the pastor of the senior church in the city of Arequipa the church that we, were, um, that we work with and he came to us on one of our, our trips to the city and, and basically said this Edward, Esme you're doing a great work up there in the mountains but you're there on your own why don't you come down to the city, help us to plant a missionary church, mobilize other churches in the city, and within a few years we'll send you back up to the mountains. And we thought, wow, this is it. So we prayed about it, spoke to our mission, to ascending churches, our supporters, and there was a resounding yes. So we moved down to the city, and I was part of the leadership, one of the pastors in the church. I was leading the 20s and 30s. I was preaching, but also I was leading mission uh, trips to the mountains, um, helping people to see the need there. And also we started with a church plant as well. We had a men's group, um, ladies group, family Bible study. When everything was going well, the pandemic hit. And as you can see, life was not easy then. But in Peru especially, it was particularly difficult because uh, Peru's economy uh, is based uh, in an informal setting. So basically people have to go out, sell stuff, and then go home, and then do the, the same thing the following day. But with the pandemic and lockdown, people couldn't do that. So, 
people were hungry. So there were families with um, white flags outside their homes as a sign for asking help. Please bring me food. Please bring me help because I can't do it. I can't survive otherwise. And the Lord responded in an amazing way. Um, so we um, were able to um, uh, buy um, groceries and we put them in a bag and also we put them a Bible and we took to these families. And they weren't just receiving a, a food um, bag, but they were receiving the hope that they needed the most because the food they were going to eat in a week, two weeks, and so on. But the hope they needed was a hope that would last through this world and in eternity. And we had incredible responses. As the, uh, as the government kept imposing lockdown again and again and again, uh, communities couldn't afford to survive. So they decided to, um, to organize communal pots. Now, they would ask people, bring whatever you have, and we're going to put all together and eat. And we um, got in touch with some of this, and then we decided to take um, groceries as well, but again, it wasn't just groceries. It was the message of the hope of the gospel that they needed to hear. And we did that, and again, and again, and we reached to about 5,000 people in the middle of lockdown. And we had some interesting responses. At one uh, distribution point, we had 18 people that came to faith. And God was opening hearts and so on. But at the same time, the pandemic didn't stop us because we were able to plant the church in the middle of the pandemic. So that's our leadership team and the other family as well um, who were leading the church with us. And we, we launched the church plant and then we had the women's meeting, the, uh, the, the Thursday prayer meeting and the Sunday service all were online, of course. And then on the first Sunday that we met in person, they met in person, they had 75 people in the church. And praise the Lord, and that was amazing. Now, Whilst everything was going well, ministry-wise, we had a difficult situation that um, the Lord opened our eyes to, and that was our family. So our children were really struggling with home education. Uh, as we had been teaching for quite some time, and it became increasingly difficult. And the Lord just uh, opened our eyes and made us realize that it was unsustainable long-term. And the Lord said, well, it's time for you to move back to the UK. It was a, the hardest decision that we had to make, but for the sake of our family, we did it in obedience to the Lord. But our hearts remained, you know, in Peru. And we were sort of thinking. So we moved back in 2021. The Lord opened the door for us to come to Bath uh, so the children can go to a lovely Christian school. But we wanted to still be connected. So we've been praying and praying. And then the Lord opened a wonderful door um, this July just gone, we were able to go back to Peru and again after two years and we visited the church plant and we saw again the baptisms and people welcoming to membership and we, had, uh, we prayed for the youth as they were going off to um, Christian youth camp and, and then also we were able to um, connect again with some of the outreaches that um, that uh, started uh, during the pandemic uh, outside of the, uh, or the, on the outside of uh, the uh, neighborhoods in Arequipa. And, and it was amazing because uh, we visited them and not just to, to share the gospel, not just to pray for them, but also 
we heard that these children were really looking forward to have a Bible. So we took 100 Bibles with us, and we shared them, and look at their faces when they received their Bibles. It was just amazing. And then, even at that moment, they wanted to keep reading. We said, okay, yeah, that's good, but we need to carry on. I hope you read tomorrow as well. So that was the other, the other, the other um, outreach, and again, we distributed the Bibles, and so on. And, and then... We went to the mountains and visited the communities that we um, uh, reached uh, before. So we got to this village, 16,000 feet above syllable, and they welcomed us and again shared the gospel, reminded, reminded them of the truth of Christ and his love for them. And, and I said, can I pray for you? And they said, please, yes. And look at these people. They were just so moved that somebody would go again, you know, two years after. And then to just remind them of the love of God for them. And then we, we met this lady on, on the way to our village. And she, she, uh, she came to faith uh, a few years ago. And she was just happy to see us again. And then we connected with the other village and the children and the moms. And again, it was just a nice opportunity to renew fellowship. And then the following day, we went on another mission, uh, another trip to this little village. Again, a 16,000 feet above syllable. And people were really happy to see us. And one of the things that um, I always sort of find extremely um, difficult to understand is these people don't have anything, but yet they have a huge heart. They don't have anything, but yet they welcome us with a plate of food. Uh, it was just amazing. So uh, we, 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 I pray for them, I share the gospel, and then, um, and then uh, this man, oh, sorry, this man here, this man here, I wasn't going to give the Bibles because these people, they speak um, Quechua, which is the Inca's language. But he saw me with the Bible and he said, can I have one? And I said, no, but you don't know how to read. But you, you were telling me about this God who is powerful. Can he not let me read? Can he not teach me? Can he not open my eyes? So I said, here you are. You have a Bible. And then, again, we, 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 we met in, in the village. So this is the room where we used to meet uh, when we previously lived in the village. Uh, and again, great opportunity. We met one of the believers in the village. And it was just nice to see him and to pray with him and to encourage him as well. And then uh, this lady came later on and just shared her, her life. And really sad, but she was looking for hope and we shared the gospel with her. Now, as I close... These children live at 16,000 feet above syllable. They haven't got anything. They didn't have a bathroom. Now, in the winter, the temperature there is like minus 20. And they don't have heating systems. You can tell. Look at his hand. Look at his faces. And when they, we, we took a little, some of biscuits and some sweets for them. And as I was living, this little boy come to, came to me and said, when are you coming back? And of course, you understand, right? You live in the middle of nowhere and you want to see people. And, and I said, well, I don't know. I would like to come next year, but it all depends on the Lord. And then this man, after receiving the Bible, he comes to me and says, when are you coming back? And I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, in the meantime, I'm going to read. And then suddenly, the Lord just gave me this, this word. And I said, I would like to come back next year, but with something better for you. So I'm thinking about trying to get hold of... Um, audio Bibles in Quechua, in their language, there's some devices that are solar 
um, solar panel, and I've heard of them, and I want to get hold of them to take them so they can hear and understand God's word. So if you can pray for that, that will be great. Okay, so now to the most important part of the service. Uh, how can I stop this? If you have any questions, I had to rush through because I haven't got, I've got 20 minutes. <laughs> if you have any questions afterwards, come and talk to me. Or Esme as well. She was there. Excellent. Thank you. Now, let's continue with uh, a service. And at this point, I'd like to say um, how privileged I am uh, and indeed grateful for this wonderful opportunity to bring God's word to, to you, God's beloved people. In your Bibles, please turn to uh, with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, and we'll be looking at verses 35 to 38. So, Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. Okay, so Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35 to 38, and God's word reads... Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send our workers into this harvest field. Now, Pray with me and ask, ask God for his help. Our good and gracious God, we rejoice together in the presence of your risen son, Jesus Christ. And we rejoice to be in the company of those who love Jesus. And we pray as we open your word, the Bible, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will speak to us and you will help us to understand and apply to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Now, the verses we read highlight three important truths for, for us this morning. That Jesus is the king with good news, that he is a compassionate shepherd, and finally that he is the lord of the harvest. Now, on one occasion, I was speaking at a church and sharing with them how we do evangelism in Peru and the way we share the gospel there. And the response I got was quite amusing. They told me that it wouldn't work in the UK. Now, I understand there are cultural differences between Peru and the UK. But when I heard the reasons for not doing so, my ears couldn't believe it. They told me they choose not to share the gospel because they were afraid it would risk their friendships, relationships with family and work colleagues and even neighbors. They weren't comfortable bringing people into the church building to hear the gospel. They were afraid if they did so, it would change, damage their relationship with them. They were afraid things would get awkward at, at work, at school, or university. Wow. I could not believe what I was hearing. I wasn't sure whether the best way to respond was with laughter or tears of sadness. But, 
before we bring any judgment on these people, let me just ask the following. Are we any different? How many times have we done exactly the same thing? How many times we have not shared the gospel or invited people to church because we were afraid this would affect, change, or damage our relationships, our friendships? And then we begin to wonder, does the gospel actually work anymore? Is the energy, time, and the risk worth it? And perhaps some of us aren't actually afraid, but are nervous. Or perhaps we lost the excitement of the gospel. But the wonderful news about God's word is that it speaks right to our fears, to our doubts, and many times it speaks to our apathy as well. And the verses we read this morning, Matthew 9, 35-38, is not a lecture, but a mighty encouragement for ordinary people like you and me. And as I said before, the, the encouragement is that Jesus is the king with good news. And that he is a compassionate shepherd. And finally, that he is the Lord of the harvest. So let's dig quick and deep now. Jesus, the king with good news. Verse 35 tells us that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Now, in these verses, we see that Jesus is doing three things. First, he's been teaching in the synagogues. And with this teaching, Jesus was saying simply that he is a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Secondly, he has been also proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The Bible tells us that the gospel means good news. The gospel is the good news because it contains exceed, the, the, the exceedingly wonderful message of God's redemption of sinful humanity through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is the heart, the central core of Christian preaching. The English noun gospel comes from the Anglo-Saxon term Godspell, meaning glad tidings. But it is translated from the Greek Evangelion, which, which means good message. Originally, the word was related to news of military triumph. But when the New Testament was recorded, its writers assigned the term gospel to the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is the message, and this is the good news of the kingdom that Jesus had been proclaiming. And thirdly, Jesus had been healing every disease and every affliction. Now I'm going to ask a silly question. Why has Jesus been healing people? And the answer comes in twofold. First, because through these miracles, Jesus proved who he claimed to be. He wanted to demonstrate his identity. He wanted people to see he was the son of God. He wanted people to see that only God can do the impossible. No one can heal cancer with their voice. No one can heal with a touch. And definitely nobody can raise the dead. And Jesus wanted people to see that no one ordinary can, de- can do any of these um, healings. But only somebody as extraordinary as the Son of God came from, from heaven, Jesus. So these miracles prove his identity. But they also give us a glimpse of his coming kingdom. Although the miracles of healing um, relieve the sufferers of their physical diseases, the stated purpose of these miracles 
of the miracles is rarely ever the simple um, alleviation of physical suffering. The miracle of healing always points to a greater truth, namely that Jesus is the Son of God with authority. When he casts out demons, his authority over them is emphasized. When he heals on the Sabbath, his authority as, as Lord of the Sabbath is emphasized. Likewise, many of the miracles emphasize Jesus' authority over nature. So, through the healing of Jesus' miracles, he was proclaiming the kind of kingdom he will bring when he comes back again. A kingdom where his citizens, those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and are clothed with this righteousness of Christ, can look forward to a world with no breast cancer, or skin cancer, or prostate cancer, or lung cancer. A world without heart disease or heart attacks or even heart, high blood pressure. And we all long for a world like this. And Jesus one day is going to bring such a world, such a kingdom. And you will meet those whom, um, whom suffered with such terrible disease in this world completely and totally healed. And this is Jesus' promise to you and to many sufferers of today. So if you happened to meet somebody who is undergoing treatment of any sort, or perhaps um, come across with somebody uh, whose husband or wife has, uh, has been diagnosed with terminal cancer, you can promise them. You can promise them that when Jesus returns, cancer will be gone for good, and that if they will put their trust in Jesus, they will be raised cancer-free in Jesus' kingdom. Or you happen to know a teenager or adult who's suffering from crippling um, depression with great clouds of darkness hovering uh, above them every day. You can promise them on the authority of Jesus that when he returns, no clouds of sadness, of depression will exist anymore. But sun rays of light and life flowing out of his very presence in his kingdom. Or perhaps it is you this morning wishing the dark clouds upon you Pressing you down and down with your health problems, financial struggles, family troubles, or work difficulties. Listen to Jesus' promise. And he's saying to you this morning, I am the king. And I am coming back with a new world. In a kingdom of everlasting peace for those who trust in me. But if you are not a Christian this morning, you don't have to wait for Christ to return. The answer to all your problems you're wrestling with is Jesus. Come and talk to him. Bow down before him and cry out for his help. So, now let's look at um, Jesus, the compassionate shepherd. Verse 36 begins with Jesus seeing the crowds. Now, wherever Jesus went, he, always, um, he was always followed and surrounded by crowds, by multitudes of people trying to get near him, to touch him, or listen to him. And at this point, we must ask the question, was Jesus okay with the crowds? Did he like them? Did he like the attention or enjoy being chased by them, and them never letting him rest? How difficult must have been for Jesus having multitudes always there in his face, always needy, never to give something, always ready to take something from him. I know for certain that if I were in Jesus' shoes, 
I would not find it easy being always surrounded by people. Especially if they were coming at me always wanting something from me. In fact, my reaction would be, stop bothering me. You pathetic people with your needy problems that you brought upon yourselves because of your rebellion against God. And now you're harder, you come in crying to me. But aren't we thankful that Jesus does not react this way? In fact, he reacts the opposite. Verse 36, we read, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. The Greek word used to translate compassion is a very deep word which speaks of compassion at that level. In other words, when Jesus saw the crowds, he fell deeply in his God for these needy people. So his heart went out to them. And why? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And this crowd, this multitude, were like sheep wandering the hillside, um, ravaged by wild animals, with blood running down their woolly coats, limping along. They had no one to protect them from the wild animals. They were left harassed and helpless in terrible distress and misled by the religious leader who ought to have been shepherding. And Jesus sees them in their helplessness and feels for them and shows them love. Now, what about today? What about Bath? What about Kumtown? Are the people of this area, harassed and helpless today. And we may think they are not. When you ask them, how are you? The response always is, I'm fine. And they seem to be. They have an excellent job. They have financial security. They own a house. They have a spouse or partner and successful children. And everything looks great because they are not prepared to tell you What goes in their minds. What goes in their hearts. They are not prepared to admit their addictions. They are not prepared to tell you they are cheating their spouse. They are not prepared to show you how scared they are every day. And we all have friends who apparently are fine and continue to climb to the top. But have have not realized yet that the top is empty. And there is nothing there. We all know people who started with optimism early in their 20s. And when looking at them now, 20 years later, we, we see them filled with cynicism and totally resigned. But if we look closely, we will realize they are harassed and helpless. Misled by the experts of our world of today. Telling them to express themselves, to find themselves and to love themselves. And the problem increases when, even more when, when these harassed and helpless sheep listen to these experts of our world and begin to look and find within themselves a wicked and selfish person. So, the struggle is real. And the world needs a shepherd. And the good shepherd sees the crowds living real and struggling lives. And he feels for them. And he still feels for the crowds of today. Jesus feels for the person at work sitting opposite your desk. And he feels for the neighbor next door to us. And for the mom at the school gate. And for the lady at the care home. 
And the only hope is to meet the good shepherd. And this is how Jesus sees and feels for the crowds. And now let's look at what Jesus does for the crowds. Jesus, the Lord of the harvest. And in verse 37, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, the way our Lord Jesus sees establishes for us the importance of seeing clearly. Jesus saw the crowds because he was looking. So if you are not looking, you won't be seen. And it is possible for us to walk around our lives without actually seeing people in any way at all. Many times we walk with our heads down or walk gazing over the shoulders, failing to actually see what is in their eyes. And their eyes are the gateway, the gateway into their souls. Every day there are people walking past us. Every day we know glances of desperate eyes going down that road crying out for help. Because if we know our Bibles, we know there are two roads. A broad road that leads to destruction and a narrow road that leads to life. And God's plan for people moving from the, uh, from the broad uh, to the narrow road involves you. And me. And it all starts with the way in which we view people. We need to see them clearly, no longer in the way we once saw them. So Jesus sees the crowds and sees the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But Jesus has got a plan. The king has got a plan, a great plan. And what's the plan? Verse 38 Ask. Ask. The Lord of the harvest. To send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus is saying. The plan is to pray. I wonder if you were expecting this kind of plan. To pray. To pray. To pray. For more laborers that God will raise. More workers through conversion. Through bringing more into the boat to become crew. And through personal revival by the preaching of the, word, of the word of God. So. We are called to pray. And we need to pray that God, God will light uh, a fire under us. To burn through our, any apathy. Any complacency. Any cowardice. And and, and comfort and thrust us into a lost world with a message of amazing hope with the wonderful good news of the gospel. And we can trust Jesus when he says pray. Because he is the Lord of the harvest. And if he is asking us to pray, to pray, in other words, pray earnestly and honestly to send our laborers into his harvest field. Then we need to pray. Why? Because the field belongs to him. And the harvest comes with a divine guarantee, which means that gospel mission was never a risky venture. You see, God has never risked the new creation being empty, or even half empty. He said from the start that his house will be full. Look at Revelation chapter 7. That's a glimpse. And this is an, this is an encouragement. Should be an encouragement for you and for me. As we pray earnestly, honestly, 
and devoutly. Why? Because if you pray, as Jesus has asked us to do, he will answer. Yes, he will answer. Jesus told the twelve disciples to pray in Matthew 9, verse 38. And look what's happened already in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them the authority to drive out impurity spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles, Simon, um, Andrew, um, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John Philip, and Bartholomew, and Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Silot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve, Jesus sent out. Why? Because they prayed. Now, this is fascinating. The people who are praying are actually the answer to their own prayers. And my dear friends, there is a crowd, there is a multitude out there crying out for peace. Calling out for a shepherd that would lead them to green pastures and beside quiet waters. Calling out to be brought brought from the broad road of destruction to the narrow road of life and eternity. Would you pray? Would you pray Earnestly and honestly. If so, you will begin to see and feel for a crowd that desperately needs Jesus. Amen. Amen. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for who you are, the Good Shepherd. Thank you that you saw us. And you open our eyes and our ears to hear that wonderful gospel. And thank you that you came down to this earth to give your life for us. And to bring us from the broad road um, that leads to destruction into the narrow road that leads to life. And we thank you for that, O Lord. And now, Lord, we pray and we pray and we pray. That you will help us to pray even more so that we can see, we can feel, and we can be ready to go and share with a lost world the wonderful news of your gospel. The hope you bring to those who are harassed and helpless. And we pray this in your powerful and precious name and for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen.